0: Thank you all for tuning in to the Your Edge podcast. I'm Therese Van Ryn, Senior Director of External Communications at Zebra Technologies, and I'm joined once again by Melanie Wise, the Vice President of Robotics Automation here at Zebra, and a woman who continually surprises and impresses me. She just received the Engelberger Award, which is commonly referred to as the Nobel Prize of Robotics. We couldn't be more excited for you, Melanie. Congratulations.
1: Thank you very much. I'm excited to be back on the podcast. And yes, it's an exciting
0: time. Let's just say that. (laughs) The last time you and I spoke here on the Your Edge podcast, we were talking a bit about your origin story in robotics and more specifically the origins of Fetch Robotics, the company you co-founded in 2013 and then led as CEO until it was acquired by Zebra in 2021. But I've since learned a lot more about you, including the fact that your rise to the top of one of the world's most innovative robotics companies was far from a traditional career progression. You'd probably describe it more as a whirlwind, I'd assume, right? Yeah, I, I would I would describe it as almost tripping over luck, but yeah, whirlwind is good. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Well, I thought that since you just wrapped up Women's History Month, we all just wrapped that up, and we're now celebrating robotics week, we could talk a little bit more about your history in the industry and how you became the award-winning robot ninja you are today. How does that sound? It sounds great. All right, perfect. Melanie, if you don't mind, take us back to the day you knew you wanted to be a robotics engineer. Was this a childhood passion that fueled your education and your career path?
1: Um it's it's actually kind of funny because if you if you look at it, you know, I I grew up in a in a time, uh ironically enough, not that long ago, but it I, you know, when I was going to school, robotics was still a relatively nascent field and it, it still is today, but um The, you know, there weren't, it's not like robotics engineering was a thing. You could go to school for traditional engineering, like mechanical engineering and electrical engineering. But it wasn't until the, you know, early 2010s that you started seeing robotics engineering programs. Mm -hmm. But at the time, you know, when I was a kid, the thing that really got me interested in building things that, that, you know, might be perceived as robotics is, um, Back in the 80s, you know, when they still had paper catalogs, my dad got an Edmonton scientific, um, catalog, you know, used to have all these things in it. And one of the things in the catalog was a line following robot. And I really wanted to, to build that robot. And, um, and so my dad got it for me. I was probably seven or eight years old. And, That's when I did, I learned how to solder for the first time and I learned how to build basic circuits for the first time. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
1: um, and that, that's kind of what started my passion on building things that, that were kind of like robots. And then when I got to college, I built my, my first robot, um, all by myself. Uh, it was, it was a beautiful disaster. Um, (laughs) it, it was held together with plywood and, and rope of all things. Um, but it, it definitely, um, from going from that first line following a robot all the way to the first robot I built in college, you know, that was kind of my journey to, to becoming interested in the field. Although, like I said, there wasn't a lot of, um, you know, uh, robotics programs that you could go into at the time.
0: sure. Sure. And when you first started college, what were you hoping to do after graduation? Was it your dream to, uh, or what was your dream job going to be right out of school? Yeah, um, well, that's
1: complicated. Uh, I would say, (laughs) you know, I had a whole bunch of internships and I I didn't enjoy many of them. Um, I, I really, you know, as someone once said to me, I, I just, I wasn't interested in wearing, uh, you know, the corporate uniform of khakis and someone, someone's polo. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I was very interested, uh, near the end of my undergrad at potentially going and working at a, a small international design firm called IDEO, uh, where they kind of worked on different, um, kind of, Cutting edge design engineering projects, but they really at the time weren't looking for people who, who were fresh out of school with undergraduate degrees. And, and I was also interested in robotics, but there weren't very many companies hiring in robotics. And so that's what kind of led me into grad school. So right after undergrad, I went directly into grad school.
0: Very good. I know you were ultimately recruited to join Willow Garage at a DARPA Urban Challenge competition during your PhD, but did I hear correctly that you had to essentially drop out of your PhD to accept that role?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, so while I was in during my PhD, I joined a group working on the DARPA Urban Challenge and, um, I came out to California to, to basically build a demo for that. And while I was here, the guy who started Willow Garage actually, um, he offered me a, a job at Willow, uh, being the second employee. Uh, Willow eventually became this big, very impactful robotics institution and incubator. But, um, when he asked me if I wanted the job, I, I said, well, I'm, I have to finish my PhD. And he at the time said to me, uh, something I'll never forget, which is you don't need a PhD. They're kind of worthless. <laughs> and, and as someone who was in the middle of their PhD, it was, it was hard to, to, to take that um, sure. uh, in. But um, you know, I, I told them that I had a lot of student debt, you know, I could, I could barely afford to be there. I was the first in my family to, to, to go to college and to, to really get to this level in, in college. And, um, and I, I just didn't feel like I could do it. And he said, well, if you're here next Monday, I'll get rid of all your, your college debt. And, and I was like, well, I guess I'll see you next Monday. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, when I say that I tripped over luck, in many ways I did, because that was a very transformational moment for me because, I was in the right place at the right time and someone offered me an incredible opportunity and I I took it. Um, and the, the thing is, is, it was even luckier because that company that I, I started working for, Willow, as a second employee, became the most influential robotics company in the last 50 years. Um, and I had a rare honor to work with some very incredible people.
0: Mm, I bet it, that couldn't have been an easy decision, though. Uh, it
1: it it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, I was becoming a little disillusioned with my PhD. I, I was working on Markovian models for uh, emergency escape uh, procedure development. It's a very weird thing. It, it basically had to do with uh, using math to figure out how to safely exit a building in a terrorist situation.
0: <laughs> All right. Very specific. <laughs> yes, it was. What would you say to a college student today presented with a similar opportunity, Melanie? Is this a case of do as I say, not as I do, stay in school? Or do you believe that there are times when we're, real world experience is equal to or better than formal education? Not that we're advocating for people to drop out of school to work by any means.
1: Yeah, I would say that in undergrad, don't do it. In grad school, definitely do it. Um, okay. I think, I think the thing is, is that there's, there's kind of a minimum bar that people perceive around, uh, undergraduate education and, and finishing the degree. Mm-hmm. Um, that isn't the same when it gets into higher education and graduate degrees. And when you have, if you have such an opportunity in which, you know, the downside is very little. You know, in my case, if Willow Grudge didn't work out, I could have just gone back and finished my PhD. True. Um, it, it really came down to, you know, from my perspective, risk assessment, which is I assess the risk. I, I thought it was worth it. Um, but also, you know, it was in a time in which there weren't that many job opportunities in robotics, and if you're if you're presented with that kind of opportunity, you you're finally going to get to work on something that you want to work on. You should take it because most of of life in your career is about finding your passion.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree. Were there life lessons or perhaps professional lessons you learned while at Willow Garage?
1: Yeah. Um, my my first professional lesson was, you gotta you gotta uh, you've gotta you've gotta learn what you need to do to be there at all costs. So when I when I started at Willow Garage, you know my background was in mechanical engineering and physics engineering, but I I wasn't a very strong programmer. Um, but you know the the first couple months I was there, it became very clear that I had to become a, a good programmer. And in fact, they told me if I didn't learn to program, I, I could find the door. And, uh, so I had to, to go and basically learn a whole new skill set on the job. Um, and that was, that was a big life lesson is, is being prepared to, to really face radical change and, and, and criticism head on and, and be willing to do something about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What inspired you to co-found Fetch Robotics?
1: Um, well I, I think the thing is is that, you know, in Willow Garage was a very interesting place and we worked on open source software for about five years and near the end of that time the founder of Willow Garage came in and said, Figure out what's next. Um, we've been doing open source for a while, but I think we need to figure out what's next. Mm-hmm. And for two years we spent time looking at um at different industry verticals and things like that. The first year we spent looking at the consumer space, uh, which is a very difficult space. And there's, there's a very difficult challenge between consumer expectations and the value we can provide with robotic technology. Mm-hmm. But then we spent another year looking at um, industrial-type applications. We looked at manufacturing, logistics, elder care, hospitality, retail, grocery, um, hospitals, uh, and things like that. And, you know, at the time I was running the robot development team at Willow garage. So we were building kind of next generation hardware to potentially support these applications. Mm -hmm. And the team that I was working with, um, the core team. So I was running a team of about 20 people and the core team about four people, Really, were becoming enamored with manufacturing and logistics, and we decided that we wanted to go off and and f- figure out whether we could solve that problem. And it was a compelling problem because it has a labor shortage. It has uh, uh, kind of characteristics that are are uh, well solved by robotics, and
0: uh, we thought we could go out and do it. Nice. I know you also just received the 2022 Alumni Award for Distinguished Service from the Granger College of Engineering at the University of Illinois. That's huge, too. Congratulations, Melanie. Yeah, thank you. Like I said, it's been an exciting year. Yeah. And I believe you've been invited to speak on a virtual alumni panel? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, just to, to talk about, you know, experiences, lessons learned, the
0: type of stuff that we're talking about now. Sure, sure maybe a sneak preview of the panel. What advice will you give to students who are trying to figure out their best first career move or their life plan? Is there something you wish someone had shared with you when you were in their position or perhaps something you realized as you transitioned into your first role at Willow Garage? Yeah. I I, I wish someone had said to me
1: sooner um, to go get a job at a startup mm-hmm. um, and to go even do an internship at a startup just to to experience that you know growing up in the midwest and and going to university of illinois um you know it was so much about the big corporations around the university and stuff like that and you know i think my advice to to those young individuals would be to go experience the other side of the coin and figure out what's a good fit for you. You know, some people are, are well suited towards working in corporations and some people are better suited to working at, at small startups and getting a little bit more breadth of experience and kind of what the career options are and what your career path might look like is definitely one of the things I would share.
0: Mm, I really like that. Are there things you learn while in high school, college, or perhaps even earlier in life that you contribute to your career success?
1: Um I yeah, you know, that that's a difficult one, I think. I think the thing is is that you know, much of my life is is been framed around Around the fact that I grew up extremely poor and mm-hmm. I just never want to be poor again. And so, um, <laughs> most of my life has been framed around how never to be poor again. Um, which I don't know if that's a life lesson as much as just a, an existential goal. Sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's inner motivation for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very strong one. Mm hmm. We know women are still very underrepresented in STEM fields, and I would imagine robotics automation is no different. Is there something that parents, educators, or companies can do better to encourage girls and women to explore engineering or automation-centric careers? Yeah, I think, I think this is a
1: complex topic. Um, and I think it's, it's one of these things that no amount of encouragement, um, can help in the kind of societal framing that we have today, um, I think one of the things that we have to rethink about how we enable women to be successful in the fields of STEM starts much sooner than, than the time that they're in basic education and things like that. It starts with the social norms and pressures that we apply to women at, at young ages. Um, I, I think that, that we, we, um, try to force specific career paths and, and life choices onto women through gender identity at a very young age. Mm -hmm. And it, it discourages their exploration of certain fields and certain life choices and careers. And so, you know, a good example of this is when I was a kid, you know, everyone was always trying to get me to play with dolls sure. and I didn't like dolls. I had no interest in playing with them. All I really wanted to do is play with race cars and Legos. Mm-hmm. Um, but those types of things, you know, from a very young age, I actually saw my gender as a barrier to doing the things I wanted. Um, and I think that many women experience this. And I think that's one of the things that we, have to start changing before we can start encouraging is we fundamentally have to rethink the way that we, uh, force women into gender roles and, and help them see, um, see the opportunity in front of them instead of seeing their gender as a barrier to, to the things that they care about and want to do.
0: Right. Right. That's really wise. I like that. Are there certain skill sets or personal qualities that you think position women or students in general for success in the robotics space? For example, do you need to be a critical or creative thinker, very analytical or perhaps mechanically inclined? Yeah. Yeah. I think that when you look at, when you look at the field of
1: robotics, more and more it's becoming more centered around software. And so if you're interested in a field in robotics, becoming a capable software engineer is going to be key to your long-term success. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also if you look at it, it's a complex inter- interdisciplinary field that requires ca- creativity. It requires the ability to collaborate and work with a lot of different people um, with different te- talents and specializations because, if you look at what it takes to build a robot, you know, you need electrical engineering, mechanical engineering. You need uh, human-robot interaction uh, specialists and design professionals. And you need software engineers who have all sorts of capabilities in terms of the robotics domain specialties like navigation, perception, um, localization. And all of this today more and more is feeding up into user experience. And, um, in many ways we're controlling these devices through the web. And so it, it requires the ability to work in one of those fields
0: mm-hmm. and
1: work well with people in those fields. And it's, it's truly, uh, a, a collaborative systems field and you have to be open minded. Willing to collaborate, and if you're if you're very interested in becoming uh, a specialist in robotics, most likely a, a decent software engineer.
0: hmm Makes sense. Melanie, can you tell us a little bit about the internships you had while you were in college?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I had I had uh, three major. Well, I had four four ish, four and a half ish internships. Um, so I worked at at Alcoa uh, in Newburgh, Indiana. Mm -hmm. uh for 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 a summer uh at their aluminum plant i worked on the end of line finishing so after you make aluminum sheet it has to go through a system to get coated and waxed before it gets turned into products that you use every day and i worked on uh algorithms for detecting sheet sheet breakage, which is a very specific problem with uh, aluminum sheet or sheet type products. Uh, then I worked in the, um, family vehicle, uh, division of, of, uh, Daimler Chrysler on the corporate low pivot steering column, um, where I worked on designing, uh, security mechanisms for locking your, your steering column. You know, when you, you get out of your car and your car's off and you try to turn the steering wheel, it locks. Well, there's Mm -hmm. a mechanism that does that. Um, and I worked on that and, (laughs) and I also worked on, uh, testing, uh, the column, the steering column in crash scenarios. So is it the Chelsea proving grounds where they crash cars? Um, and then, Uh, during grad school, uh, and the end of my undergrad time, I worked at Honeywell in their aerospace division on, uh, the joint strike fighter and, uh, for one summer and then another summer and continuing with some, some consulting work. I worked on, um, uh, more, uh, advanced applications around, um, science of materials, cavitation of materials, uh, and combustion and, um, uh, challenges with, uh, using jet fuel as a, as a lubricant in, uh, in, uh, and jet engines, um, things like that. Uh, so those were kind of the, the different types of internships that I had. But like I said, the, the Honeywell one was over several summers and, um, some side consulting as well.
0: Wow. Oh, you've really covered the gamut just in your intern experience alone. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like
1: to work on a lot of different things.
0: Yeah. It's incredible. Did you have any female role models or mentors during school or your, earlier in your career?
1: Uh Sadly enough, no.
0: <laughs>
1: I, I know it's, it's, it's rather unfortunate, but you have to remember that there's so few women and, and, you know, I, 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 went to high school and, and college, uh, in the late nineties, early two thousands. And, you know, the, the numbers aren't great today for women in engineering, but even then 20 years ago, it was, it was hovering around three to 4%. So I had very few women colleagues or women role models, uh, unfortunately, and now the numbers are closer to 8%. I mean we've made some gains, but not very much. Right.
0: Right. I know speaking of twenty years ago, back then high school students were encouraged to get into computer science and that was the way of the future. Is that how you feel now about robotics?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I think though unfortunately um the way that we're encouraging people into robotics today in high school is is misaligned with the the long term career path. You know, first, for example, mm-hmm. Focuses very heavily on uh, hardware design, whereas most of what the the um, the field needs in the future is is students that are trained in software engineering, um, and this is largely an artifact of of mo- many parents don't know how to program, and first is meant to be something that parents can assist kids with being successful at, at the high school level. Mm -hmm. And so there's just kind of a a mismatch in terms of the, the skill sets that parents have and the skill sets that we want children to learn, uh, to become robotics professionals. But I would say still the answer is do computer science. Um, (laughs) ironically enough, even 20
0: years on, Sure. Is the job market for robotics engineers competitive right now? Oh, it's extremely competitive. Um, I would say today
1: that at the, at the level that we're looking for robotics engineers, there's probably somewhere between five and 10,000 engineers in total in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's probably double that in jobs um, out there. Uh, it's a very competitive field. It's very difficult to hire in this field and it's, it, as, as you know, they're, the, the wages are getting extremely competitive as well.
0: Right, right. What do you and your team look for when interviewing candidates for open roles at Zebra? Yeah, I think today, you
1: know, we're looking for people who are great programmers and, uh, have, uh, domain expertise in one of the areas that we're looking for, typically at the graduate level. Um, so that means expertise in localization, navigation, um, uh, perception, those types of things. But we are willing to, uh, consider candidates who, who have, uh, deep programming experience in the video game industry or other, uh, tertiary industries like, um, uh, sorry, uh, uh, machine vision and things like that that are similar to our industry that that apply well in our applications. But mm-hmm. the, the key typically is they have to be really strong programmers.
0: Very good. That's good to know. And good advice to share with those attending the alumni panel as well. We'd love to have more brilliant engineers and business savvy thought leaders like yourself join Zebra Nation, Melanie. Yeah, of course. I would love to see that as well. Well, thank you for taking the time to share a bit about your personal history with robots and your professional journey as well. Next time my steering wheel locks into place, I'll think of you. All right. Well, thank you very much. I hope you have a great day. Thank you, Melanie. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. If you'd like to learn more about Melanie and her achievements and leadership in robotics, visit Zebra's website or check out her LinkedIn profile. Or if you'd like to learn more about the roles available to engineers and robotics experts here at Zebra, I encourage you to check out our careers page. I'm Therese Van Rijn. Until next time.